I'm ready. Should we do the the intro to the podcast? Um, we could do the intro to the podcast, but I do just want to. Um, I I did write here in my notes real quick just to cold open it. Um, assuredly he'll get tied up when he gets his dick sucked cleaned off his body. Yeah. That's that's what I thought was going to happen in this movie. I thought it was setting up like a, you know, rainy day three-way. Oh, well. But, you know, apparently there one was... of the guys was a monk. There were, I did see a lot of lusty looks between s- several of the men. Um, so I do know for a fact that when they filmed this movie... Um, they did all, like, live together in a small production village. Okay. So, so they it's was possible fucking. that those lusty looks come from genuine lust. Alright, perfect. I have an, uh, I have, I have an intro, uh, to our bit. Do you want, do you want me to do the, the bit intro? And then after the bit, we can go do the podcast intro? Let's do the podcast intro first. Okay. <clears throat> Should I do the, the bit intro immediately after the podcast intro? Yes. Yes, I should. Perfect. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Are you prepared for this event? Insofar as I'm ready to do the intro, yes. Okay. Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. And we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles to try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoiler. Crunch, crunch, motherfuckers, it's chip time. Crunch, crunch, motherfuckers, it's chip time. Uh, yeah, so um, last week, as of recording, I guess it was this week as of recording, on House of Snacks, they reviewed a movie. Mm-hmm. And that's our game. That We're is our game. We're the movie podcast. And they're the yes. snack podcast. They've absolutely chomped our flavor. They, they've chomped our flavor. They've donked our stees. It's just, this cannot stand. It is an act of aggression. Absolutely. So in an effort to fire back at the House of Snacks podcast, Kara and I have each purchased a snack mm-hmm. that we will be trying on air before we start talking about the movie that we watched, which is Rashomon. Uh, which, you know, is, it's very, it's very funny to do this bit on top of what is probably our most, like, true cinema movie review. Yep. It's <laughs> classic us. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, Kira, what kind of snack do you have this week? I have, and I believe this is probably only available in the Pacific Northwest, um, but... I have Tim's Cascade Jalapeno Chips. Okay. I feel like I've heard of these before. They fuck hard. The packaging looks very, um, I don't know what I would, a little bit, like, carnival-y, or, like... It does a little bit. It looks bit. like it wants to be in a paper bag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if gluten-free. I can get these delivered. Oh. It looks like they are also uh, primarily allergen-free. Hell yeah. Insofar as they don't have any allergen warnings on the package. Good. That's good. I might be able to actually eat these if I can order them, but maybe I don't want to get them shipped to Canada. (laughs) If you can find them without having to pay, like, $30 for a bag, highly recommend. It's the, like... 
it, it has a level of cannot stop eating them that goes beyond your standard potato chip. Does it? Okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Hold on. Why is it putting me in Sacramento? Um, we don't, don't want to be there. Okay. No. For so many reasons. Tim's Cascade Chips Canada. Um, it put me back in Sacramento. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. How does that happen? I don't know. I might have to like go on like snack exchange. Maybe there's a Sacramento in ca- in Canada. No, I think it procs CA as California instead of Canada. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, but uh, so I also have a chip. Yes. Um, and this is a chip that you cannot get in the United States. Yep. So, uh, Rip to you. sucks to be you. I uh, have Lay's Wavy Masala Magic Chips. Oh God, that sounds so good. They are what may be sacrilege in, here in Canada, but they are better than all dress chips. And I've heard you and talk about all dress chips. Those also fuck severely, but these are just genuinely better. Like, have you ever had, like, a masala mix, snack mix? No, that's not really a thing here. There are, I guess you have to kind of have, like, a pretty significant, like, Indian population. Yeah, and there is, I guess. I, maybe I just haven't encountered it. The, uh, but in, in these chips stores. basically taste like that. Maybe They're, like, a little bit funky and, like not too salty, which I think is a good thing for a potato chip to be. Mm-hmm. They are by far my favorite chips. Uh, so would you like to uh, try your chip first? Alright. <clears throat> I'm gonna get real close to the mic for this crunchy sensation. Excellent. <laughs> that is some mm. fucking uh very very solid chip crunch sound effect like we got that really clean (laughs) perfect you know what else is really clean the taste of these chips it's so good they're like the perfect level of like it's spicy but it's not like too it's like so spicy that you can't just keep eating them Mm -hmm. um it there there's a good level of salt there i think they're like kettle cooked chips so they're like they're nice they're, nice yeah they're like a little more significant of a chip than your your usual like lays or whatever yeah i saw when i googled them that they were thick cut mm-hmm. um, i think that's something to be said is that frequently i think regular potato chips just come out too thin yeah i agree i want there to be a little bit more substance which is why I like these wavy chips. Uh, how would you describe the flavor? Um, oh jeez, it it's like uh, it, it's it's salty. You got you got some real solid um, umami flavors in here, mm-hmm. um, and then you got just just a, a hint of spice. Well, sometimes more than a hint of spice. It can depend on the chip. Um, it would be like like it, it tastes like a fried jalapeno, I guess, kind of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I re- actually, one thing I really like to do with these chips is to get some uh, whipped cream cheese and dip them in that, and it's like jalapeno I'm popper s- chips. Yep, yep, yep. You, you, you need not sell me on that anymore. 
<laughs> it's that so good. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, I am going to try my chip now. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Mmm. That's a good crunch. Mmm. Okay. So the first thing that I think I notice is that it's like a little bit spicy, but like mildly, like just enough that you can sort of feel a little bit of a tingle. Yeah. It's also a little bit sour and a little bit funky. And like the flavor makes me feel like I've just eaten like a irony of ironies. Uh, Like I've eaten some really good Indian food. I mean, I, I would hope that it does evoke that. Yeah. But like, I ate, it's Indian food that I ate, like, 30 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. So it's not like I'm actively eating it. It's that I'm still enjoying it and remembering the memory of it. Yeah, yeah, I can... That makes perfect sense to me. I want these chips. Uh, actually, that's a good point. So um, we have to rate our snacks, which is to say we're rating each other's snacks. Kira. What, we're rating each other's snacks? Yes. Okay. How do you feel about Lay's Masala Magic Chips after hearing me talk about them? Having having heard the um, the description and the crunch, what is our scale? Um, it's would purchase, would consume, or would not purchase, would not consume, or would not purchase, would consume. Okay, so I'm going to rate... Uh, would purchase and would consume probably voraciously. Um, yep, they're I, a very dangerous chip. I have to remove like a small mark for the fact that I do prefer a more substantial chip. Oh, these are wavy chips, so they're not like the okay. thin bullshit. Okay, good. They're yeah, they're like um, they're like at least a millimeter thick. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. Um, and for Tim's jalapeno, Tim's Cascade jalapeno chips, I think I would rate those a would purchase, would consume, because I love a good jalapeno chip, and I feel like a jalapeno popper chip dip experience would be kind of ideal as a, oh my god, I'm tired and I need to eat something, let me make yeah, jalapeno chip great. poppers. The thing, the thing you have to understand about these jalapeno chips is I've had a lot of jalapeno chips in my time attempting, mm-hmm. like, attempting to replicate these. Nothing comes close to the experience of eating these ones. They're, they are far and away so much better than any other jalapeno chip I've ever had in my life. Nice. That's, like, I think the thing about these chips is, like, one of the things you get away, you, you get away with, one of the things you get here in Canada that I've noticed in my time here uh is that you kind of it's a country that's obsessed with chip flavors i can yeah that makes sense there's given what i've seen come out of there i i can't think of a place where the easiest way to get a person talking is to talk about chip flavors other than canada (laughs) um I feel and, you know, like, like there's part some part of that I imagine comes from the fact that, you know, when packaged chips keep for a very long time and it's hard to get stuff that's fresh out to places that are frozen most of the year. That does make sense, yeah. So, you know, rural small towns are thinking about their chips all the time because that's their uh that's their source of potatoes. I mean, and legally you have to have a source of potatoes in life. 
Emma's giving me a what the fuck look as if I'm not doing a bit. <laughs> so, uh, with our snacks reviewed, are we ready to move on to the movie? Yeah, let's, um, <clears throat> crunching over, oh, uh, it's movie time. So, we watched, um, uh, Rashomon. Yes, we did. Which happens to, as of recording, be freely available to watch via the Plex free library. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. Yeah, uh, love a good free movie for us. <laughs> this is perfect for us. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. The movie starts off with a lot of exposition in text form. Was that right? exposition? I thought that was credits. No, that stuff at the beginning, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was exposition, maybe it was credits. I figured I... it was just like opening credits, because there weren't credits at the end. It's impossible to know. Who's to say? Yeah, certainly not me. Well, anyway, we get a bunch of text at the beginning. I assumed it was exposition, but it may have been credits. It's it's one of the two. Um, either way, we then come upon a scene of heavy rain while two dudes take shelter under a gate. Yeah, and it's like, first of all, this is a very wet film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's lot, a lot of, it, when a, it's when it's not raining, they're very sweaty. Yeah, so many soggy boys. I like through the whole thing, I could not stop imagining the smell. And yeah, I not in a good way. <laughs> I feel as though judging, you know, judging these actors based on their potential smell in this situation, <laughs> um, it's probably a little bit unfair given that they were filming in the woods. Oh, for sure. During for the sure. summer. For sure, for sure, for sure. I'm just like I <laughs> I I'm like I'm gay to a degree that that men don't smell good like as a starting point and then when when you get them all sweaty and dirty, it does not improve the situation and I it was one of the foremost things on my mind for the entire watch <laughs> um that that's fair one of the foremost things on my mind for the entire watch was that this movie came out in 1950 uh-huh which i think does make it our oldest movie on the show by three years yeah when was uh when was flop jaw 1953 i'm pretty okay, sure okay cool yeah I don't even remember what that 1957, movie was called. 1957, actually. Oh, damn. Uh, that said, this being our oldest movie, it's also a 1950s Japanese movie. Uh, so it, for me, is difficult to break this movie out. I think it's not useful to divorce this movie from the context of the fact that, you know, Japan was under U.S. occupation at the time. Mm-hmm. And... The kind of storytelling that you were allowed to do in film was limited by censorship from, you know, an occupying power. And I think that kind of maybe speaks to a metaphor of what this movie is about. Yeah, I can see that. But that seems a little bit too film school and not enough unsound theories. <laughs> so what I think this movie is actually setting up... Mm-hmm. Or was trying to set up. Trying, yeah. Was that those dudes at the gate were waiting there because they were supposed to have an orgy. Yeah. 
and then someone fucking ruined it by bringing their kid. Mm-hmm. And, like, so, you know, there's two guys sitting at the gate, and then another one comes running through the mud up to them. He sits down with them, starts talking, and then, like, basically immediately starts stripping. <laughs> so yeah. I have a feeling that these guys are like, oh, nobody showed up for our orgy. Wait, there's another guy. I guess three people doesn't count as an orgy, but I'm good with the three-way instead. Yeah, they all do. Uh, they all look so depressed is the thing, though. Yeah, it, that they're, makes sense. They, they probably are all depressed. They, they're just like, there's so many shots, like long shots of them just sitting there like being sad. Like they, they, they look absolutely miserable. Yeah, it's pretty pretty miserable actually i mean like this whole movie is kind of miserable yeah so um these people waiting at the gate is actually a frame for the rest of the narrative so yes it's entirely possible that within this frame those three guys were there for a orgy that never happened which they were yeah i mean that's canon yeah um and we get like flashbacks of one of the dudes telling a story that ends up blending into a segment where he's telling a story about other people telling a story. Yeah, that is cool. So we have a double frame narrative. Uh-huh. Um, and we get the point of view that one of the guys who's there for the orgy, um, the woodsman, discovers a body and then figures out that there was a murderer involved and then there's a trial. And the trial is where we see the three different versions of the story mm-hmm. right i <clears throat> i did not pick up that it was a trial i thought that it was that would that they were somehow still at the gate in the rain but that it wasn't raining in in like their mind space or something i don't i don't know exactly what i thought but i I did. It took me a long time to realize that those scenes of the the trial were not were, were also like flashbacks. Yeah, the, those scenes of they, it was like a meta flashback. Yeah, yeah, and it, um, that it that confused the shit out of me. That's understandable. <clears throat> I probably would have um, been a little bit less lost if I understood that. Yeah, no, that 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 would have helped most likely. Um, so. There's a couple of things about this movie that get me because, like, there's supposedly these moments. That I guess the like point of the movie is that there is no such thing as the objective truth, right? Like mm-hmm. we we see a story from the perspective of four different people, yeah, each told a different way with completely different outcomes and everything like that. The one thing we don't see multiple times is the setup to this scene. True. So I think it is the objective truth, such as that exists, that the bandit man sees this girl riding by on her horse and looks at her feet and is like... There was a foot shot. Yeah, I almost forgot about that. Yep. So I imagine he says something to the effect of... Whatever the Japanese for boy howdy Jim Dandy, those are some pretty stompers. Is. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> and he starts hooting and hollering and waving his hat around like a like a cowboy. I named the bandit guy. What is your name? He's the only character I named. 
Um, uh, and uh, I'm gonna just gonna tell you his full name. I named him <laughs> Dark Mark, parentheses, itchy and scratchy. Said you have to say it like that every time. Okay, Dark Mark, parentheses, itchy and scratchy. Yeah, yeah. So he's a foot guy. He's a foot guy. Also, I did name him that because, first of all, he is doing a lot of itching and scratching. And second of all, there is about perhaps six frames of film in which he looks exactly like Markiplier. <laughs> oh, good God. Um, so, um, uh, obviously there will be content warnings on this episode, but this movie is about the aftermath of a sexual assault, right? Yeah, and a, and a murder. Well, maybe the a story murder. that Possibly we get, a murder. yeah, the story that we get told multiple times is about the aftermath, about like settling honor and you know what was going on and like who was guilty and what exactly happened. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's one of the things that I appreciate about the way that they filmed this is that they didn't gratuitously go over the scene of the actual assault every single time. Yeah, do appreciate that. It skipped forward to the aftermath after the first time. Yeah. Um, So, like, what we see is, first, the bandit story, where he asserts that she was into it. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he has an honorable duel with the guy who was guarding her. I don't know if he was her husband or just, like, a guard or what. Yeah, I wasn't sure what their dynamic was. Um, and, you know, the the bandit decides he's going to be silly, and he acts silly during the fight and wins. Mm-hmm. But in that time, the woman has run away. Then we get the woman's story. And, like, what I get from this is that sort of in every scenario the crime that they actually care about is the murder yeah it feels like her trauma isn't being treated as a crime yeah uh not a fan yeah no it it just sort of is, is sort of taken as as a given like yep that'll happen and like one is left wondering if maybe the fact that her assault isn't considered worthy of having a trial is indicative of what the film is trying to say in the analysis version where this movie is about the American occupation or possibly about, you know, the bombings of Japan to end the war. Mm-hmm. Like, what exactly... It's It's almost as though this inciting incident is secondary to the discussions of the consequences for the men you know yeah yeah and i i I don't want to attribute that to sorry go ahead i forget what i was gonna say (laughs) okay i I don't want to attribute that as being like kurosawa not treating it seriously enough in the story he was trying to tell but rather that that in and of itself is part of the criticism he is making. I can see that. The fact I can that, see that the systems ignore what happened to this woman. And, you know, the fact that the baby is there at the end, I assume the intention is that that is her baby as a result of what happened to her. And she leaves it there for someone to find or whatever because she doesn't want it. Mm. 
We can put um, a pin in that one. We'll, yeah, we we'll can put a pin in we'll that. We'll come back to that. But my thought here is that, like, you should kind of be a little bit horrified that nobody seems to care the justice system and the, you know, people involved. None of them seem to care that she was attacked, right? Yeah. And there's no way that isn't an intentional statement. I suppose. Right? I Like, it could just be it was 1950. It could just be that it was 1950, but... I mean, I'm I'm not familiar with any of Kurosawa's work, so I... I guess at this point, though, we can apply our critical lens of death of the author and say that I, it doesn't matter what Kurosawa was trying to say. Yeah. It doesn't matter that it was the 50s. There is meaning in the fact that she was ignored over just the, like, <clears throat> I guess what you would... Like, the, the face saving for her samurai guard slash husband. Yeah. Because it seems like in in her narrative, you know, her husband gets, or guard or whatever, I'm going to assume it's her husband because that's what, how this makes sense to me. Um, he gets killed when she's trying to get him to kill her, and she accidentally stabs him. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that part. And... Like, the whole, like, story in that segment is that the bandit guy is just, he just beats cheeks and gets the hell out of there. Uh, and, like, it's her husband who is unwilling to satisfy, like, whatever sense of honor there might be because he's disgusted by her. Yeah. Yeah, he does, it do, It does seem like he, he a little bit is like... Well, don't want anything to do with you anymore. And, like, I think the the movie is trying to say that all of them are lying. Mm-hmm. For some reason or another. Yeah. They all, uh... Like, I wrote in my notes towards the end, um, are any of these versions the truth? And, like, <clears throat> I think the popular interpretation is that the woodsman's version of the story is the truth. Mm, I don't think so. But I don't think he told the truth either. No. I, much like that one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where Riker gets accused of murdering a guy after the guy's wife tries to seduce him or whatever, I, I don't think any of them have the full truth. Yeah, I think that is, like, kind of the point, is that, like... They all have their The point own... is that they need Jordy to beam down and reconstruct it with holograms. Oh, God, that would have made this such a short movie. <laughs> it really would have. At least a 45-minute movie, because I... that's how long that Star Trek episode was. Tell you, I would have appreciated it. <laughs> this was... I had a lot of fun with this movie. I, I know you didn't. This was a fucking struggle for me, because I... I had no idea who was who, or... I, I I couldn't tell if, like, the, like, bandit and the, the samurai guy were supposed to be the same people as the dudes that were sitting uh, in the rain, like, think, like a past so, version like, that's, of them. The bandit did kind of have, for my face blindness, a similar face to the <clears throat> dude who runs up and starts stripping. I think possibly also because they had fairly disheveled clothing. Yeah, I, like I like because like I couldn't tell if it was like this was supposed to be something that happened like 
years ago and we're seeing like the younger versions of these dudes so obviously they wouldn't look exactly the same and maybe they're played by different actors i i I was a little confused on that front as well i think they're all just different characters i think so now i think maybe (laughs) um so yeah like i guess the question then is like in what is each of them trying to achieve in their telling of the story? Like, I think the bandit's version is trying to make himself seem A, innocent, and B, cool. Yeah. Like, he's like, no, I'm actually swagged up, dab, dab, dab. Oh, yeah, it was definitely like, oh, yeah, I totally fucking clowned all over this samurai dude with my shitty little sword that sucks. Um, there's actually, okay, so I have some thoughts on the swords, because I am one of those freaks who like swords too much. Okay. Uh, we'll get to that later. Um, so what's, the woman is trying to accomplish something as well, possibly to earn herself sympathy points to make her, like, I, 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 I don't know, maybe try to, like, save face in some way. Yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think, like, you know, there's a question of what her future looks like, right? Right. Because at the end, her husband is dead, and she doesn't have, possibly doesn't have anywhere to go, you know? Because she's a victim, and victims were not treated kindly during this time. Yeah. So if she portrays herself as having attempted to satisfy like you know the very strict structures of heian japan honor yeah maybe that makes uh, but that that the failure was in the part on the part of her husband for not going through with it or something yeah that makes sense i can see that 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 tracks that maybe then someone would still be willing to marry her I don't know. I, yeah. I think there's a the, the purpose for her is very obscured by the fact that I didn't hear what she said or read subtitles of what that she said. That certainly so I... doesn't help. <laughs> no. Um, I would have loved for them to have included sound and subtitles in this film. Yeah, I think that would have helped your watch through as well. Yeah. Uh, so we get a third version of the story from the samurai husbandman. Mm-hmm. Via a spirit medium. Yeah, we got it. We we get which a is possession. quite frankly delightful. Yes. Um. So now I did do a little bit of research, and apparently, in the version with sound, the spirit medium is just dubbed over by the actor who played the samurai, <laughs> but with a bit of reverb on top of it. That that absolutely rips. I love that. <laughs> Uh, so his version of the story is that the one, his his wife tries to run away with the bandit and tells the bandit to kill her husband so that there are fewer witnesses or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like they have a fight and then the bandit runs away and then the samurai finding his wife's knife commits ritual suicide to save his honor or something. Yeah. Um. Now so. This is where I started to look into the... I started to think about the swords. So uh, there's... During the Heian period, uh, the sort of style of sword, the tachi that we see the samurai use, is starting to come into popularity. The single-edged sword. Right. With a a heavy curve like that. Mm -hmm. 
starts to become popular during this period in Japan. And the straight double-edged sword called the Tsurugi is from like an older period of Japanese history. Maybe this is an older sword that this bandit guy is using. Um, the types of sword that the samurai carried would have been extremely expensive. I did get the impression that like the the samurai and the lady were like kind of upper, upper well class. Off. Yeah. Partly, and partly because I, of her hat. Yeah, it's a delightful hat, by the way. Great we haven't hat. talked about the hat. You can get that hat in Final Fantasy fourteen. You have to pay like eighteen dollars uh, for it. Real dollars? Real dollars? Yes, it's a it's a um, a a cash shop outfit, but Ugh. you can wear it. You like almost convinced me to play Final Fantasy fourteen there. <laughs> I, I, I have it. This I can close, screenshot it for but you. It was the $18 I, that really threw me off. I I own it because the dress that comes with that outfit I used in a uh, cosplay for my character that I did. Oh. Yeah, send me a screenshot. Okay. Um, so I think like the choice to have the bandit using an older style of sword, particularly a double-sided sword, might be intentional to communicate his vulgarity versus like yeah i mean he's definitely portrayed as like and even like from his own story he's he he comes across as very like not not like like unrefined and whatnot yeah he's not concerned with the structures of honor or whatever his his primary concern is himself you know Mm -hmm. and that's why he's like very publicly scratching himself and swatting at flies and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is interesting. So, like, um, the dead samurai who tells his story through the medium, uh, clearly full of shit, right? Like, he wants his good name to be secured. He probably in some way, shape, or form wants to show himself as having died honorably. Yeah, gotta be. And then the trial ends... But we don't get the verdict we from don't what I verdict. understand. And then we get a surprise baby. Yes. Just sort of well, we, out we of We don't nowhere. get the surprise baby until after the woodsman tells his story. Wasn't he first Which up? is that he... That came first. Um, and he basically says, actually, um, I did watch it happen from the bushes like a pervert. <laughs> which is to be expected. He is there for the orgy. Yeah. And... The, the apparently his version of the story is that the samurai husband doesn't want to fight for her honor. The bandit doesn't want to fight. Uh, they're all extraordinarily sweaty. So sweaty. There's so much sweat in this <laughs> like, film. And I have to clarify uh, like, one of my earlier statements. Yeah. The smell thing was not about the actors as much as it was the characters. I wouldn't want to be there. That's fair. Because I'm pretty sure deodorant wasn't a thing at the time. Yeah. So what I what I've what was I talking about? Uh, the the neither of them wanted to fight. The, oh yeah, yeah. no. The, sorry. Uh, back to the sweat. Yeah, the sweat. Um, this is the only scene where all of them are that sweaty. Yeah. Each of them is varying degrees of sweaty throughout the rest of the stories, but in the woodsman's story. They are all, like, drenched. Do you think... 
that this was because <clears throat> the woodsman was himself extremely sweaty and was projecting that sweatiness onto the other people he was observing. I can think of no better explanation. <laughs> yeah. So we get this version of the fight where both of them just suck shit oh. at sword fighting. Yeah. It's very, like, they're constantly, like, tripping over themselves and, like... They, it, it's like they're both mashing. Yeah, yeah, they're both, fighting they're both button mashing. I did. They are both heavily button mashing. I, like, mo all of the fights kind of had that vibe. Like, they were all, at least, I guess that was the main one where they were, like, super bumbling. The other ones, I honestly really liked the, the fight choreography in this movie because it was same it was very different from like your standard hollywood like extremely clean like fight choreography where you know it it, it actually felt more realistic rather than like a couple of that... super cyber ninjas fighting each other right the thing that felt good about this like the fight choreography in this is that like it was very clear that even the lady's knife was absolutely a deadly weapon. Yeah. And they, yeah, they and were. The best way to not get killed by a deadly weapon is to avoid it, not to block it. Yeah. They were all very clearly like fighting for their lives and kind of desperate mm -hmm. rather than like a fucking Marvel movie where everybody who picks up a weapon is like, has been training with that weapon for 300 years and is an absolute perfect fighter. So in this fight where they suck shit, I'm pretty sure it's, according to the woodsman, the woman who insists that they fight each other for her honor uh -huh. or for her hand or something. Yeah. Because doesn't and she, like, leave with the bandit guy afterwards in that version? She tries to. Okay. He wants nothing to do with her because she just made him commit murder and he feels bad about murder, and... but not about the rape. <laughs> of course. Fucking... The bandit man is a scumbag. Oh, he like, sucks, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, they all kind of suck shit. They do kind of suck. Everybody in this movie sucks. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the uh, monk. He seems relatively okay. Yeah, but his life sucks. So by the transitive property, he sucks. At least I'm assuming okay, his life sucks because he's just, like, extremely turbo-depressed the entire time. So, like, the whole fight kind of has these two dudes not doing like flashy moves or anything like that but like being afraid of approaching the other yeah you know nobody wants to be the first one into this fight nobody wants to you know nobody's fucking dash canceling here we're pressing back and trying to avoid the guy with a deadly weapon yeah like like you do <laughs> and like I, the, the, what I wrote in my notes was because uh, the bandit does end up killing the husband, as we know. Mm -hmm. uh, his victory wasn't flashy and powerful like his version of the story. It was pathetic and flailing and ultimately kind of fruitless. Yeah, and it is. It kind of paints both of those men as being extremely pathetic. Yeah, yeah, it does. They were both very like. Yeah. So I guess the question is. We kind of have an idea of what the bandit was trying to prove with his story. We have an idea of what the samurai was trying to prove with his story. We have a nebulous idea of what the woman was trying to prove. What was the woodsman trying to prove? 
Um, I thought so. Do you think he did the Moida and he's trying to, like, cast himself in a version of the story where he's... But then why wouldn't any of the others have told that version of the story? Great question. <laughs> because if the woodsman did it, what motivate you know, like, yeah. the woodsman just came along, saw, saw some random shit happen, and then decided to commit murder? I don't it, think... I mean, it's unlikely for sure. Yeah, I don't think that's what it is. I, I, I think what he's... What his angle... His angle is to, like, sort of paint all three of them as unworthy. Yeah. Maybe his idea is motivated by possibly knowing that the baby is there on the other side of the gate and he just wants a kid but doesn't have a way to come by one organically that's possible um spoiler spoiler alert i do have a review that does kind of address this that that we'll get to eventually um but that that's good to know that's good to know yeah um it just it's it's sort of fascinating because like why does the monk give him the kid at the end? Because it seems like the monk is hesitant to hand over the kid. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, a lot of, like, fighting I guess, over the kid. Yeah, without dialogue, it's impossible to know why the handoff happens. And then the rain clears up while the guy's walking away with the baby sort of triumphantly. Yeah. And, like, the symbolism there is about as subtle as a fucking whale lord. <laughs> and I don't know that that's the right way to read the film i think they maybe got it wrong uh you think the the people who made the film got it wrong yeah i think the people who made the movie got it wrong i honestly i come to that same conclusion with a lot of the movies we watch so i'm with you on that this is the this is one of the few occasions though where the movie we <laughs> we watched is universally considered a pretty great movie. Yes. I think that the reason I think that for a lot of movies is not because they're bad. It's because without the distraction of sound or understanding what is happening in any of the mm-hmm. scenes we watch, we're able to get at the real truth of what happens in a way that the directors never intended or even realized. Right. We do find those secret messages that they put. I feel as though every movie we watch, the directors are putting those secret messages that we discover in there. I'm sure and some it's of only them are through watching. It's certainly, it's only through watching these movies when we make our grand discoveries that maybe we've cracked some sort of film code yeah like maybe we've cracked the haze code i think so i think that's um entirely likely i think maybe the way we do things is the way all movies are meant to be consumed hello listeners it's cat with this week's mid-roll announcements i'd like to once again thank our friends diet coke and lilith over at the house of snacks podcast for being extremely cool with us doing this elaborate call out bit over the last few months of the show please check out house of snacks it's one of my absolute favorite podcasts and a true delight every single week they're about to go on a short hiatus for lilith's move so now's a great time to catch up on the backlog and learn all of that sweet snack podcast lore that they have a whole wiki for because it's really that dense. 
I promise it's worth it. If you'd like to interact with Kiro or me on social media, you can follow us both on Tumblr. I am at zaftycat.tumblr.com and Kira is there at sapphire-mess.tumblr.com. If you'd like to support my TTRPG work, you can do so at zaftycat.dog, that's Z-A-F-T-I-K-A-T dot D-O-G. If you'd like to support us, there are a few ways you can do that. First, you can tell someone about the show. We thrive on word of mouth, and our goofy brand of weird is the perfect thing to recommend to your friends, your polycule, your found family, your biological family, or a random monk you meet at Rashomon Gate. You could also be our favorite people in the world and leave a review for the show on the podcatcher of your choice. We're fans of good pods for their really neat shareability features, but whatever you prefer works for us. If you do leave a review, let us know via tweet or Tumblr message and you'll get a shout out on the show. Thirdly, we'd be so grateful if you were to support us on Patreon. We make this show because we love it, not because of the money, but a little support from you goes a really long way for us, so please do consider that support. That's all for this week's midroll announcements, so I'll let past me and Kira get back to the sweat and murder. Cue the VCR sound. Okay, do you want to hear the plot summary for this movie? Yes, I do. Rashomon is a 1950 Jidaigeki psychological thriller crime film directed and written by Akira Kurosawa, working in close collaboration with cinematographer Kazuo Miyagawa. Prologue. The plot begins in Heian-era Kyoto. A woodcutter and a priest are sitting beneath the Rashomon city gate to stay dry in a downpour when a commoner joins them and they begin recounting a very disturbing story about an assault and murder that took place. Neither the woodcutter nor the priest understand how everyone involved could have given radically different accounts of the same event, with all three of the people involved indicating that they and they alone committed the murder. The woodcutter claims he found the body of a murdered samurai while looking for wood in the forest three days earlier. Okay, so the baby is not the woman's baby. Can't be. Interesting. Can't be. Can't be. <laughs> Nobody has a three-day gestation period. Maybe a bacteria May- or yeah, not a around, fruit fly. Not, not around these evolutionary parts, for sure. Uh, he first found a woman's hat, which belonged to the samurai's wife, then a samurai cap, which belonged to her husband, then a cut rope, which had been used to bind the husband, then an amulet. Finally, he discovered the samurai's body, upon which he fled to notify the authorities. The priest claims he saw the samurai traveling with his wife the same day the murder happened. Both men were summoned to to testify in court, where a fellow witness presented a captured bandit who claimed to have followed the couple after coveting the woman when when he glimpsed the pair traveling through the forest, particularly her feet. (laughs) <laughs> particularly her feet that was a uh, editorializing by me i'm i'm gonna choose to believe that is the actual summary yes uh you know if you want to edit the wikipedia article you're welcome to do it? Uh, the bandit story tajomaru the bandit and notorious outlaw claims he tricked the samurai to step off the mountain trail with him to look at a cache of ancient swords he had discovered In a grove, he tied the samurai to a tree, then brought the samurai's wife there with the intention of assaulting her. Initially, she tried to defend herself with a dagger, but was overpowered and then seduced by the bandit. The wife, ashamed, begged Taijomaru to to duel her husband to the death to save her from the guilt and shame of having two men know her dishonor. She promised to go with the man who won the battle. Taijomaru honorably sets the samurai free and duels with him. 
They fought skillfully and fiercely with Tajomaru praising the samurai swordsmanship. A little flirty. That is a little that fruity, is kind actually. Of flirty, yeah. Kind of fruity. Yeah. You know, the only time I've ever seen someone praise another man's swordsmanship in a movie was in Princess Bride, and they are absolutely a polycule at the end of that movie. Uh-huh. Uh, in the end, Tajimaru killed the samurai before realizing the wife had fled. At the end of his testimony, he's asked about the expensive dagger used by the samurai's wife to defend herself. Tajimaru claims he forgot about it in the confusion after the fight and laments leaving it behind as the dagger's pearl inlay made it very valuable. The commoner claims that men often lie, even to themselves, because they are weak. The wife's story. The wife's testimony tells a different story. She claims that Tajomaru left immediately after raping her. Once he's gone, she cuts her husband free from his bonds and begs her husband for forgiveness. I don't know why she didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But he simply stared at her coldly, blaming her for the assault. She begs her husband to kill her so that she would be at peace and her honor restored, but he continued to stare at her with loathing. His contempt distresses her so greatly, she fainted while standing over her husband with the dagger in her hands. She awoke to, found her husband, to find her husband dead, and the dagger in his chest. In shock, she wandered through the forest until she came upon a pond. She attempted to drown herself, but failed. The commoner claims that women often use their tears to hide lies. The commoner is a misogynist. Yes, com- this commoner sucks shit. They all suck That's shit. That's true. Maybe the monk is okay, but his life sucks, and therefore he sucks. We've yeah, already gone over this. it's a transitive property. <laughs> Lastly, the court hears a story from the perspective of the samurai, as told through a medium. Boy, howdy, this is inadmissible testimony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the samurai claims that after the rape, Tachimaru asked the wife to live with him. To the samurai's great shame, the wife accepts the proposal, but asks Tachimaru to kill her husband first. Disgusted at the wife's request, Tachimaru grabbed her and gave the samurai a choice. Let her go or kill her. Samurai notes that this gesture almost allowed him to forgive Tachimaru. Not his wife. The wife broke free and fled, with Tachimaru giving chase. Tachimaru failed to recapture her, gave up, and returned to set the samurai free. Tajimaru apologized, then departed. Humiliated, the samurai killed himself with his wife's dagger. Later, he felt someone removing the dagger from his chest, but could not tell who. Foreshadowing. Yeah. The commoner notes that men often lie to protect their honor, which I think he noted before. No, I guess lying to yourself is different from lying to protect your honor. Yeah. Anyway. Back at Rashomon, after the trial, the verdict never revealed. The woodcutter claims that all three stories are falsehoods and notes that the samurai was killed by a sword, not a dagger. Catching this omission, the commoner gets the woodcutter to admit that he witnessed the assault and murder, but declined the opportunity to testify because he did not want to get involved. According to the woodcutter, after the rape, Tajimaru begged the samurai's wife to marry him. Instead, she freed her husband, hoping that he would kill Tajimaru. However, the samurai refused to fight, explaining to Tajimaru that he would not risk his life for a spoiled woman. Good Jesus Lord. Christ! Ugh hate that. With the samurai no longer caring for the wife, Tajimaru rescinds his promise to marry her and prepares to leave. The wife criticizes both men, calling them dishonorable cowards. True. Yes. Tajimaru, because he would not keep his word to kill the samurai to have her, and the samurai because he would not kill Tajimaru to avenge his own honor, saying a real man would fight Tajimaru and then demand she kill herself. The two men unwillingly fight, both clearly terrified. In a pitiful duel, nothing like what Tajimaru describes in his testimony. 
even the wife seems to regret having provoked the battle. The samurai is finally killed while pitifully begging for his life, and Tajimaru is disgusted at killing him. Ultimately, Tajimaru won through a stroke of luck. He attempts to take the wife with him, but she rejects his advances and flees. Tajimaru takes the samurai's sword and limps away. Epilogue At Rashomon Gate, the woodcutter, the priest, and the commoner are interrupted by the sound of a crying baby. They find a baby abandoned in a basket with a kimono and protective amulet. The commoner steals the kimono and amulet. The woodcutter reproaches the commoner for stealing from an orphan child and attempts to stop him. The commoner overpowers the woodcutter and chastises him as a hypocrite. The commoner correctly deduces that the reason the woodcutter declined to testify is because he is the one who stole the valuable dagger. The commoner leaves Rashomon Gate, explaining that all men are motivated only by self-interest. Meanwhile, the priest has been attempting to soothe the baby. After the commoner departs, the woodcutter attempts to take the baby. The priest violently recoils. His experiences at the trial and at Rashomon Gate have destroyed the priest's faith in humanity. The woodcutter explains that he intends to raise the child. He already has six of his own. Good God, <laughs> uh, This revelation recasts the woodcutter's story and motivations, restoring the priest's faith in humanity. Does it? As the woodcutter prepares to leave with the child, the rain stops and the clouds part, revealing the sun. End of movie. Yeah, yeah. I, hmm, I'm left feeling... Uh, I have a sour taste in my mouth about that explanation of the restoration of faith in humanity. Yeah. Why would he... What? I guess because it's like, well, he took the dagger to support his family. To support his big-ass family that he's now adding one more child to. For some reason. Yeah, I don't... (laughs) He still sucks shit. He does, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe stealing the dagger is... kind of cool and chill because all the people he stole from all suck. Yeah. I don't understand why this trial was so concerned. I guess like evidence you want to have all of the potential murder weapons so you can do a um and you can check the I imagine they didn't have very advanced forensics and they probably I, wouldn't have been able to tell much of a difference between a different kinds of a stab. Yeah, I I think it probably is more that like if he came forward and, like, had the dagger, they would just take it away from him. Yeah, but he could have just hidden the dagger. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. It just, it's, it doesn't seem, uh, it just, I, I feel not great about it. No, yeah. Um, it, it's, um, yeah. So I have some interesting little tidbits from the production notes. Okay. Um, this would have been really useful if we had any sound while watching the movie. Cinematic sound is never merely accompaniment, never merely what the sound machine caught while you took the scene. Real sound does not merely add to images, it multiplies it, is what Kurosawa said about the, uh, soundtrack and sound effects. Why didn't he fucking put sound in the movie? I don't know. Uh, but he did say, I like silent pictures and I always have. I wanted to restore some of this beauty. So maybe that's why he that, didn't put sound in the fucking that movie. That does explain it, yeah. I'm satisfied. Yeah. I, this is the first time we've had a reasonable explanation for why they didn't have sound in the movie we watched. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Um, but yeah, so watch Rashomon. Don't watch that shitty Ridley Scott movie, The Last Duel, because it's the same movie, but The Last Duel actually sucks shit. Okay. I wasn't gonna watch it. And you have it. to look at fucking... 
You have to look at fucking Matt Damon doing a stink face the entire Ugh. time and blonde Ben Affleck. Oh, no. Oh, I don't want that. It's it's not yeah, good. Yeah, no. I think I won't. Um, Another thing that uh, Rashomon has going for it, a much shorter movie. Mm-hmm. Like, runtime of 88 minutes versus The Last Duel, which clocks in at 153 Jesus. minutes. Jesus. That's too many. That's too many minutes for a movie. I, mm-hmm. I I thought the 88 minutes of this felt unbearably long. Uh, speaking of unbearably long, do you want to give us some reviews? Yeah, yeah. Because this episode might be getting unbearably yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I, I have a um, four-star review. Um, <clears throat> uh, who they, they title the review, Great Movie, and it re- reads... This movie presented an excellent example of the Rashomon effect. (laughs) That's so good! Rashomon that said this movie presented an excellent what was the review? An excellent example of the Rashomon effect. Yes, this movie gave an excellent example of the Rashomon effect. (laughs) (laughs) It's so stupid. They go on to say, it shows that in, in life, every story can be interpreted differently from various sides. Yes, okay, thank you. Um, the next person gives it four stars and titles the review, A Beautiful Haiku and Tribute to the Silent Film Era. A classic by Akira Kurosawa, A Beautiful Haiku and Tribute to the Silent Film Era. I don't know that this film counts as a haiku. Sorry, did they say the movie was a haiku? Yes, it is a beautiful haiku and tribute to the silent film era. They said it was a haiku. I made a joke that said the movie was actually a haiku and they played volleyball. Oh my god. That's bad. I don't like it. <laughs> I do love haiku, though. You should watch haiku. I've never seen it. Um, so, I think we talked well, about haiku during oh, the Hanukkah yeah, 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 episode, yeah, 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 we definitely did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. It's, a, it's a recurring yeah. theme for this yeah. show. Um, a five-star review titled uh, Rashomon, Film or Play. It reads, This is deservedly one of the ten best films of world cinema, although it feels like you are watching a play. Yeah, I I mean, lest we uh, go too deep into the reception and legacy section, Rashomon has been a stage play that has been pretty consistently performed since the 50s. Fair, fair. Uh, Another person gives it five stars and says, I Rashomon all the way to my DVD player with my sushi in hand and enjoyed every minute of it. Kinda racist. Yeah. Uh, Just a smidge. Another five-star review says, is, is titled, Check out your bag, man. And it reads... Truth is in the eyes of the beholder, or at least that's what Rashomon is about. But to say this Kurosawa masterpiece is nothing but a mediocre flick just shows to what extent utter ignorance takes pride in itself. 
Listen, Drew, if old foreign films are your bag, you'd better check it over. Who is Drew? <laughs> I think your exploded head is inside, and it's beginning is to this, stink. Is, is this review aimed at my brother? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> okay, uh, can you send me a screenshot of it so I can message it to my brother and see what he says? Yes. Uh... <laughs> There you go. <clears throat> There's another five-star review that is a giant wall of text, and I don't want to read most of it, but I do want to read these two paragraphs. Um, <clears throat> it says, There's a very interesting commentary on the disc by Donald Ritchie, an authority on films of Kurosawa. He sounds a lot like a professor teaching undergraduates driving home the same points multiple times. Driving home the same points multiple times. One of them is that every one of the speakers has his or her own story and that each is true for them and that there is no other truth to know. This is clearly a lesson you could learn from the film, but that would be like learning you can never get a pepperoni and mushroom pizza because the driver delivered a ham and pineapple pizza instead. It may well be that there is no perfect or platonic ideal pepperoni and mushroom pizza. Some may have more pepperoni than others. Others may use different kinds of mushrooms. What is pizza anyway? Yet... When I give you a pizza, you know if it's pepperoni and mushroom or something else, right? So is the pizza metaphor <laughs> Great question. an attempt to explicate the idea of a... They're, they're contesting sort of... the idea that no objective truth exists. Right. And they're, they're using a neoplatonist argument for it. And... I'm concerned that we're... I'm concerned that I'm intrigued enough to want to debate philosophy <laughs> with a fucking Amazon review, yeah, I, which means I no. just... I, I need to get outside. You're too deep in the paint. Let's do one more review, because I did talk about this one earlier in the podcast. <clears throat> Sounds good. Uh, this is a five-star review. And the title is... Is anyone talking about the amulet... And the final irony of Rashomon, and it reads, Few, if any, folks are getting it all. The Wikipedia article misses it too. The woodcutter inadvertently says he saw an amulet on the ground, along various, along various clothing items at the scene of the murder. He doesn't mention the knife because it is revealed towards the end that he stole it from the scene. So what became of the amulet? I have seen no one reviewing Rashomon who seems to follow that train of thought. When the child is discovered wrapped in a kimono with an amulet and the commoner goes to steal it, the woodcutter is enraged. He doesn't seem to have had much of a chance to examine the child, but still knows that it was wrapped in that fashion. After he is shamed and the commoner leaves with the stolen goods, the woodcutter says he will take the child home because since he has six already, it won't be that much of a burden. The last man who has heard all the stories says that, the, that says that act has restored his faith in humankind and the film ends. But how did the child get wrapped up in the amulet and the kimono in the first place? Both are items that the woodcutter likely also stole from the scene of the rape and murder. One can assume that he then wrapped up his own seventh child in the items and set the bundled child out for someone else to take and adopt. When he is shamed and takes the child at the end, he is returning home with his own child and getting praised to boot. That's the final irony. Huh. 
I thought the final irony was going to be that um, the commoner is like, hey man, you suck. Why did you steal that dagger? And then proceeds to steal the amulet and kimono. Yeah, but no, it's because he's getting praise for taking his own, t- own child home. It's very... So, like, I guess if he pretends to have found the child wrapped in the kimono with the amulet, he can bring the child home and also keep those spoils as having been found with the child Mm -hmm. rather than stolen, is what this review is positing. I think it's positing that he initially wanted to fucking ditch his kid. Oh, see, that's not... That's not... The amulet and kimono were, according to this theory, also recovered from the murder scene, right? According to this theory, yes. So if that holds true, I don't think he wanted to ditch his kid. I think he was just using his kid as pretense for why he came to come in possession of this kimono and amulet, so that when he tried to sell it, it wasn't sus. That makes sense, yeah. So it was all about giving himself a clear conscience, not a clear conscience, a, a clear um, chain of ownership on it's these things, just right? crazy enough to work. And maybe that means the movie does end on a sour note because everyone sucks shit. <laughs> yeah. And that is not ironic because that's what the whole movie that, was about. All of them that suck. That is the Rashomon effect of which this movie is an excellent example. Exactly. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we Absolutely end this? Absolutely not. Okay, sick. Uh, thanks for we listening. Sure Bye. Bye. Unsound Theories is a production of Sosa's Media. You can follow us on Twitter at Unsound Theories or follow Kat and Kira at ZaftiCat, Z-A-F-T-I-K-A-T, and at Sapphire underscore Mess, respectively. The best way to support the work we do is to tell a friend and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. If you'd like to support our work monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash sosismedia. There you'll gain access to behind-the-scenes content, Patreon-exclusive episodes, and so much more. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Postel. You can find this and Chris's other work at soundslikeanearful.com. Until next time, stay wizard.